bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Justin Robert Young. I'm a Santa hat guy now. For podcast listeners, I'm going to be wearing a Santa hat for as much as this season as possible. I don't know why. It's just happening. Go with it. Mr. Brian Brushwood. I'd like to believe there's no deadline to ever take it off. I mean, it'll be cute in January. Bit of a bit of a head scratcher in February. <laughs> come come March, uh, you'll just be the Santa hat guy forever. Here. I think, yeah. There's there's that fine line between eccentricity, which will be allowed for about six weeks, at which point it becomes a lifestyle. I mean, we've found, uh, you know what? We could just track how long the HOA let us keep a dragon on our front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> was it, uh, God, was it like Penn and Teller who talked about like the parrot guy? You know, the, the guy that wears, puts the parrot on their shoulder. Oh, you I, know, I don't to- think I know this story. It's just just sort of the kind of the, the guy, the guy that just sort of like, you know, has the parrot because they're at the parrot. So people talk to him, you know, because they've got the parrot, you know, there, and like, you know, I, there was a dude who uh, would uh, always go to this bar that me and a few friends of mine would would frequent. And he was always outside and he always had a parrot on his shoulder and he always exactly in the same way that Andrew's describing a dude that assuredly had problems kind of like making conversation or being the center of attention that now was wearing a parrot. And I'll tell you what, initially when you walk up, you're like, that's a parrot, man. I have a lot of, co- I have a lot of questions about parrots. And then at some point he would always be up against a wall. At some point he would have to move from that wall and you would see lines of caked on bird poop that immediately robbed you of any desire to speak to this man <laughs> ever. Like it was really a double-edged sword. So I think it was a story from one of their books they did, but uh man, I just Googled the parrot guy and I regret it. <laughs> uh oh geez Louise, what is this? <laughs> ah! Oh, this is this is uh, a body uh, modification. Yeah. Yeah. A guy who's doing body modification to make himself look like a parrot. I don't think he's being very successful in most of these shots. um, No, it looks like it looks like a colorful form of grayscale. It does. Yeah. He he, he looks like uh, the kind of prosthesis that would be found in early 90s WCW. Like this is, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to catch up to The Undertaker and now they have their own colorful version instead of the monochromatic and he chops the Hulk Hogan and we never see him again. Yeah, so moving right along. <laughs> so, hey man, I thought this cool. was a podcast about weird things, not boring body modification exactly. of people who want to become human well, parents. And, and also it's like if you want to become a human parent and you're body modificating, then, then feathers? I would I would I would have went with feathers. I would have went with some kind of synthetic feather situation. Also, to to, uh, to be fair, we've made up everything that we've said about this person. We don't get to start criticizing him on his technique, considering that we literally made up his story. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. All right. So moving on, really exciting news from the field of artificial intelligence and medicine. 
one of the biggest projects that's been going on or one of the biggest areas of research in computation has been protein folding. Years ago, there was the project Fold at Home, which was a whole program where people were using their own computer systems tied into a big network to try to solve protein sequences. Protein folding is a big issue because you take this big, long strain of protein, and the way it folds affects everything from, you know, it's how our bodies are formed, our cells are made, drug interactions, and all of this, and trying to predict and understand what this stretched out protein actually looks like in a three-dimensional space is a super critical problem that we want to solve for developing new kinds of therapies, et cetera, into the future. And there have been efforts to try to measure the improvement, uh, how accurate we've been able to do it in the past and improve that over time. And today, uh, DeepMind, which is part of Alphabet, you know, the, the Google portfolio companies, announced that they've set a big new benchmark for protein folding with AlphaFold which is a system that has been, they've used this before, and now they've made a big improvement on you know, the algorithms behind that and have done, uh, looking at like the success rate in it, there's a chart, which you can go see if you go to the DeepMind. Actually, there's an older article, but there should be a newer one, which will go into and show you that like, this is like a 15% or like 20% increase, I think. Wow. Uh, and, and so this, this is a... Uh, uh it's not necessarily less computation, but but with the with the more horsepower, it is doing so much greater things than than we had seen with previous uh, versions of it. Well, and, and you know, figuring out more efficient, you know, more efficient yeah. ways to do this because that's part of with you know, this is DeepMind, which did AlphaGo and AlphaGo Zero, which were the systems are able to win at Go, and then this AlphaGo Zero was the one that taught itself how to play Go, and been able to set world records for this. So if we go look at the the most recent press release for this, it's, it's funny because it hasn't been indexed here. Um, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big, you know, it looks like it, from what they're saying, a pretty significant leap forward with this. So I, I understand the importance for quality modeling of, you know, three-dimensional space of a protein. And, and in my imagination, this is uh, me expressing my ignorance, um, I, I assume that this would help to inform best guesses as to how different things will interact or whatever. But, but what is the boots? Do, do we know? Does anybody on the panel, <laughs> I'm going to throw it to everybody, uh, know, know what the boots on the ground effects look like in terms of... Um, what we do exactly with that knowledge does does this help to narrow down like candidates for things or or is there help help walk me through this so think about think about like when you look at how like a virus plugs into a cell and you know about receptors and stuff and you understand there's a shape to receptors okay and understanding the shape can tell you what kind of virus can affect it with proteins when it wraps itself up into its structure Certain parts of it are exposed, certain parts of it aren't. And so when you know what the exposed parts are, you understand how it will interact with other proteins and other molecules. And that's kind of what it is, is once you can see it, you can go like, oh, I think I know what fits here. I think I know what's exposed here. I think I know what's being active or what's not active. And so it's kind of like just figuring out, you know, if you're trying to build a drug or build something and you want to know, you know, what is the structure of how this applies to what what's going to lock onto that? What's not? Got it. So right now we're seeing a model of, of exactly what, Bryce? Uh, uh, 
scolding. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, um, Doctor Mario. This is a graphic. This is not, I. This. I, uh, this video shows parts of a simulation run unfolding at home oh, I of see. a protein okay. where atoms are move aside, exposing a site where a drug can bind. Got it. So, so, uh, got it. So, so, in other words, it's a case where everything is so knotted that that we we uh, literally have to tear it open to find the binding receptors. Right. And then figuring yeah. out, so from there, you can better develop drugs and, and they can be more effective and have fewer side effects. And, and this is like a, a, a gigantic step forward in terms of uh, making those things more effective. Oh, someone in our chat uh, clarifies, folding calculations allow scientists to determine where interfaces exist for, say, an Ebola vaccine to neutralize an Ebola virus. Got it. So it, it's uh, not with... That would be a cellular interaction well. on the surface. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you wouldn't really want to try to directly affect a protein in that way. That would be a cellular interaction, which is the surface of that. But, and you might, anyhow, uh, sort of. So they think about like, uh, Two, like you talk about, like like uh, certain diseases and conditions are because you're 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 you have malformed proteins. Okay, so for instance, if you're having a malformed protein, how do you how do you spot it? What do you know? And you can saw, oh, in this little sequence here, this is shape it. So the shape of this is very different, you know. And so you can look at it and say, like you know, like you think like you know, you know, certain diseases like, uh, for instance, if somebody has you know like eczema or something like that, you know. Then all of a sudden you're able to look at this and say, okay, uh, this protein's misformed in this person because at some stage it's not being produced in the right way. How do you really tell? Protein folding sort of shows you like, wow, this is shaped completely different than what it should be. Very cool. And and so you you were saying that uh, an increase, in, did you say 20% uh, increase in speed? Um, so I think there's a chart there and I don't want to speak... Uh, you know, out of turn here, but I think, oh, there we go. Like you can see that the previous one with records was set by alpha fold was just shy of 60%. And this has moved up to like about almost a 90% increase. So this looks like, you know, significant increase over the, from two years ago. Uh, yeah. I don't know what the GDT is, but, but basically uh picture, a bunch of forties in a line and then a 60 in a bar chart and then an over 80. <laughs> so almost a 90 of whatever those units are. It's, and, yeah. and I suppose I suppose this speaks to it's it's hard for everyone to get excited. Like like I mean I, I I do grasp numbers are going higher and that's good for science to solve things faster. Uh, but then but then but then you get into the the way the models work and all that stuff and then and then the you know what what we tangibly get. Man, explaining science in less than a headline uh, is hard. <laughs> I know it, re it really shows you how much like, you know, science educators like are a really, really important part of this to, to be able to kind of uh, uh, lay stuff like this out is is really, really important before we get to the like tangible results, which are going to become their own sort of headline. Yeah. And, and just to our what I've been suggesting in the chat and to clarify that is that when you're looking at the protein sequences, of viruses, which was they're suggesting. You could look at this, use this to analyze a protein sequence of viruses and figure out how to attack that. Um, I was thinking literally about the human protein sequences, which is why I, you know, said, did a nah, and then I'm like, oh no, that's actually right. So <laughs> to clarify, uh, that's one of the big things is we look at these viruses and we're trying to figure out, you know, they're made of proteins too, and how do they function? What do they look like? And we're able to use these sequencing to be able to do at it, you know, to look at that gives you a really big insight. 
how will it come into play? You know, where are we going to be able to look at this um, to figure out, you know, how are we going to be able to you know, put this to use? You know, we, we've already been using our ability to look at proteins, you know, to try to do treatments initially you know, already. You know, we've used crystallography, et cetera, you know, to try to figure this out. So, you know, we will see. And um, as being pointed out by the, uh, the ever clever tally is, yeah, not all viruses have protein coding. Some of our strictly just RNA or DNA, and it's not a thing that's going to be a solve everything kind of thing, but it might solve there's a lot there's a whole host of conditions getting even away from you know things involving viruses just within your own body and how it produces proteins that then try to solve functions so it's a very very man potentially very exciting the problem i want to solve is how am i gonna buy christmas presents this year well brian uh you're not and you're gonna have to explain to everybody in your life including your family that you won't have money to do so unless People, head on over to patreon.com slash weird things right now. Support this show. Uh, uh, we technically count as a small business, so please go ahead and support your local small business by pledging on patreon.com slash weird things. There, you will be able to get a, a, a custom RSS feed where you get the show early. You get the uh, After Things podcast as well. So uh, head on over there right now. Patreon.com slash weird things. Sometimes there are stories that come out that might as well be like tagged. Duh, this is going to be on weird things. And so, and I often sometimes just sort of like, ah, do we really want to do that? Cause it's so obvious and on the nose. Then it's like, uh, probably we should do them cause we are weird things and not, not trying to be on the nose. I mean, I or, swear the headline better be something like Bigfoot turned out to be made of spiders uh, or goblins. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, did you follow the story of the mysterious monolith that showed up in the Utah desert? Oh, we we yes. briefly noted it. Yeah, uh, I I my immediate reaction was pure skepticism. In that, um, uh, the way everyone is is presenting it is that it just appeared and nobody knows where it came from. And and my skepticism was not that there's a monolith in the Utah desert, but that my skepticism was that there's no way it was just found and that some awesome artist just put it out and and hoped someday it would get found. Uh, do do we know more about the story? Well, apparently it had shown up on like Google, uh, like Google images for it's been there for a couple years. So it may have been a thing that had been waiting to be found. The the eerie thing was, of course, is you watch the video and you get like the like the Bureau of Land Management, whatever, this helicopter crew where they're all dressed in their flight suits. And it looks like a scene out of like a behind the scenes of some sci fi movie because these guys it yeah. looks like Planet of the Apes. Right, they all, they all have, they all, they, the flight suits really do sell it. I mean, it looks plus also if you think of that iconic scene of the monolith on the moon being dug out in 2001, it looks like that because it's in a canyon. You've got these high walls on all sides. You have this thing right in the middle of it. So it looked, you know, it's cool and mysterious. And then people like, ooh, I wonder why it's there. It's like if this showed up in downtown Austin, nobody would care. Right. It would not be a big deal. But because it's out there in the middle of the desert, it's like, ooh, it's out there in the in desert. Fact, I, Cause... I, uh, I would say that the, the funniest meme that I saw of it came from uh, uh, the, the Southwestern, uh, Southwest Airlines official Twitter account that just said, sorry. And it was just these, the monolith, which is all metallic. And it just had their boarding numbers on it. If you've ever taken a Southwest <laughs> flight where you're standing like <laughs> before or, or after these markers. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, you know, it was, it was, it's something that obviously 
was staged to look awesome in the place that they did. They was very fortunate that it was found by people that wanted to take really cool pictures of it and video of it. Uh, to Andrew's point, it is certainly enhanced by the fact that it looks like an unnamed government agency is uh, uh, interacting with this alien artifact. But uh, uh, it's not something that if it was in SF or Austin or LA, anybody would blink twice. Yeah. Uh, so, but but I, I suppose my my affection is, um, and and I guess E. Clay Thompson in the chat is saying like, I see rivets, guys. Come on. Like, I don't think anybody, literally anywhere, is claiming that this is of extraterrestrial origin. Um, my skepticism is whether or not some crazy artist truly just put something out there because it deserves to be beautiful and didn't really care if it ever got discovered or not. And there are people who have done stuff like that, but those are rare and wonderful unicorns. What I feared it was, was a coordinated, yeah, we'll put this thing out, then we'll bust out the cameras, then we'll pretend to discover it. And yeah. then we'll, you know, like that, it, that's the cynical part of and it. And then everyone will know that the new Shake Shack super fries are here and they come in a metallic uh, uh, obelisk. Exactly. Exactly. I'm okay. I'm on board for all of that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so they they decided not to let the location be known because they say it's in a very remote area. And one of the things they hate doing is having to rescue tourists who get lost in very remote areas. And so uh, they said, hey, we're not telling you the location, but apparently it's gone now. What? I mean that that seems uh, so, like a pretty easy thing to do if you uh, if you have uh, I, 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 easy easy is the wrong word um si simple and easy uh, simple and difficult aren't necessarily yes yeah, somebody did do that Brian uh, what yeah I, I mean it's fairly simple you come up with a helicopter and fly away with it all you need is a little thing called money uh but but yeah wild or an all terrain vehicle uh so the the, the location wasn't known officially but some people were able to look at the maps compare it whatever and find it and then the claim is that uh it's got, supposedly gone now but very you know i wonder did the artist go back there and get it or did somebody or or is this a heist did somebody figure could be, could be a heist oh you know what would be great is if quite literally a government crew said hey there's garbage somebody left very big very pretty garbage here can you come clean it up and so a government garbage group like yeah i guess we got it and so now we have a literal government conspiracy in which government agents came and retrieved the strange artifact okay all right i so want to ask yeah this government garbage group brian i want you to tell some of the other yeah. scenarios they've been involved in i mean let's say let's say a weather balloon crashed outside of roswell i mean somebody's got to okay. clean that garbage up <laughs> okay that's actually a great like 90s uh grant morrison comic idea <laughs> like just the idea of like like the garbage men and they're just like this like slightly darker version of men in black that are are, are just getting into these seedier uh, uh it, interactions between society and aliens it's like a mundane version of marvel's uh was it damage control the the group that comes in and cleans up after the every superhero battle yep. yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh they end up kind of like the beginning of Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, that's right. You know, yeah, after that's the right. Battle of New York, all of this sort of stuff, this alien tech, everything that's left over. And that's what I loved about, yeah, that's what I thought the Marvel is at its best, where they sort of stop and go, well, what is this world really like? And yeah. they're like, oh, yeah, somebody's got to clean this stuff up. And those weapons could be useful. Rather than having to invent a whole new hero out of or bad guy out of nowhere, you're like, 
oh, what did this problem, what complications does this create? And yeah, the the government garbage man. I got one for you, which would be a great documentary. Okay. All right. After King Kong fell, who was responsible for taking care of the body? Oh, my God. Hopefully it would be great is if they decided like the whale thing that we're going to try detonating (laughs) the corpse of this giant 60 foot tall ape. But it's but it's all like in the same time period, right? So it's like it's all like you know the like comical bundled dynamite, and and you know a guy with a mustache with a big plunger, like <laughs> all the the round bombs with the little few. Yeah. <laughs> they get somebody right, high stepping in. Light light your fuses with your torches, uh, uh, thusly. Wait, wait, I want to buy some monkey meat first. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody's selling, uh, uh, cut your own tuft of history before it's gone. <laughs> it's like Dude. you rent shears, they run up, they grab a handful of, of, of uh, ape fur. That would make an amazing pseudo documentary, like after Kong <laughs> fell, of like, what did New Yorkers do with the body of Kong? Where did his skull end up? Like, what was, you know, did people just pour over it, tear it, it would apart, actually and humiliate be, him even further? It'd be great if it was kind of like Shaun of the Dead style, like mainly a, a relationship documentary that just sort of, or, or that just is set at the backdrop of what do you do with this gigantic yeah. uh, ape corpse? God. Wow, has anyone, uh, has anyone done a zombie Kong where like you just combine a zombie story where it's like Kong dies and it's like oh, it was beauty that felled the beast and then a zombie just runs up and bites him. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and it's just a little tiny like a mosquito bite and they're like oh no oh no get it get it out. You're like oh I'm pretty sure we got there in time. And the movie ends with eye opening, bloodshot eyes. <laughs> yeah. Zombie Kong is now just. Ah! <laughs> Available now on Amazon, Zombie Kong, Big Bad Heavy Hungry from James Roy DeLay, the man that brought you the highly successful best new zombie tales, comes the most original zombie anthology of all time. Uh, in jungles, in the Arctic, in cities and towns, Zombie Kong rules them all. <laughs> nice. All right. Good, 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 good for that man. That's a great idea. Yeah. God, I can't uh, wait until until AIs get smart enough for me to just, uh, it, 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 like, I don't care how low fidelity it is, just, uh, you know, we're already at the point where it can kind of spit out a script with a little bit of guidance, but then just, I just want to be able to feed that script into a rendering engine and then just have it, and then, you know, have it understand the loose structure of of, of scene changes and stuff. And it's like, I'll buckle in for that, for that 20 minute masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Uh, someday, maybe soon, but need, need to see that other people have thought about that idea too, though. That is zombie Kong. Um, zombie Kong 2012. Awesome. Temporarily I, I do want the Ken Burns, Amazon, unfortunately. Well, I want the Ken Burns slow moving images of Kong and then talking about the different, you know, people <laughs> who showed up and claimed the body of Kong and the pipe fitters 101 and whatnot, because yeah. they realized the value there. You know, the, oh, the hand yeah. ended up in a... Or, or it's like, uh, um, uh, there was so much blood in the Kong body that they had to hire these plumbers. And it's like, yeah, I ain't never seen that. There's there's more gallons than two Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's 64,000 gallons of blood. We had to run a special pipe that sent it all into the East River. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. the here's, here's the mayor turning the spigot. <laughs> the, the Kong blood spigot. Oh my god, how many times is the mayor like smashing a bottle of champagne or cutting a ribbon because of some Kong related public up. works project? <laughs> Oh, you know what? After seven years of cleanup, we kind of miss the old guy. And thus, Kong Park was designed. <laughs> it would be in the shape of his fallen body, but filled with trees. <laughs> I think we have a story there. I think we do. Uh, I think we do. Got one more, one more story here to talk about. Um Speaking of zombies, this is a story where everybody who writes the headline knows the headline is wrong, but they want to write the headline because they can't stop themselves from doing that. Yep. And I'm talking about dead minks rising from the dead. Dead minks rising from the dead. Wait, what? See, now, Brian, you, you heard you heard of these minks, huh? Right. These minks, these animals, the minks like like the fur coat. Yeah, like the yeah. All right, so okay. you know how uh, people are alive or they're dead. Yeah. These are these ones are dead. Yeah, except they're not. Boom, gotcha, bro. So back I, from the so dead. I, I believe you're describing a throwaway scene from the original Ghostbusters. Isn't that a scene? <laughs> like, is. isn't so that quite literally? <laughs> so Denmark uh, realized that there's certain animals that can be you know can carry disease uh for like carry coronavirus and can particular minks so they decided to like like mass kill minks like just kill off all like the mink population right um because it turned out that some people had been infected by a mutated strain that had been passed to them from humans and minks and whatnot living together so 17 million minks were gassed and buried in trenches in a military zone in western denmark the bodies were buried under two meters of soil, but the problem was is the little poor minks started to swell and expand and push through the soil, and minks started coming to the surface. How, uh, if if we don't mind going in chronological order, how does one find themselves in a position to kill seventeen million uh, minks? Like, like that seems well, like these a... are on farms. They're in cages. Oh, got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're being raised for, yeah. for got it. Okay. I thought, I thought somebody was just out in the woods, man. <laughs> like, like, uh, do it, do it, a very inefficient, uh, fur trapping. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's a hell of a trapper. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, they were, they were, these were like farm minks and apparently they, sadly they killed them off and then they had to mass bury them like a, a, a like ET cartridges. And then they started swelling and then popped up to the surface. And there are all of a sudden these dead minks and it I makes mean, for also, zombie stories. Uh, uh, what kind of mind would think about uh, agitating a corpse? So a gullible press would cover it as a resurrection and then launch a multi-book franchise based on it. <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers no spoilers yeah, well. no spoilers for the first uh, uh 15 pages of angel killer but uh, uh, oh. <laughs> uh there there is uh, uh certainly uh, uh the the, the if, if if you read the opening of angel killer and you're like no the press would never cover something like this it's like well yeah they did it with a bunch of minks they would definitely do it with a dead yeah. woman in seattle <laughs> yeah yeah so uh Horrible, horrible, terrifying story. But um, that reminds me of a story that 
uh, a friend of ours, remember Jack Latona, uh, Justin may remember him, who of course, yeah. was uh, an attorney, had been a city commissioner in Fort Lauderdale. And when he was city, when he was one of the commissioners, he got a call one day at his office and his secretary took it. And she says, I got this lady who's calling. She sounds kind of crazy. <laughs> and, and Jack's a very pragmatic kind of guy. He's like, put her through. This woman's on the phone and she says, the dead are coming out of the ground. <laughs> the dead are coming out of the ground. And he's like, oh, lady, what's happening? He goes, the dead, the dead's coming out of the ground. Like, I need somebody. Nobody's going to, nobody was coming by. I've called the police. I've called everybody. Nobody's coming. He's like, well, it's like, you know what? Like, let me be a, let me, let me be a good servant to the people calls the police department and says, can you go buy this address? And it was like a poor area, kind of like a kind of a planned community for like low income that sort of kind of been neglected. They meet this old lady out there. She's like, oh, the dead's coming out of the ground. Like, all right, lady, show us. She leaves them around the back. And in between the buildings is this, you know, this field, this grown over field with trash and litter and human skeletal remains coming out of the ground. Now, was this a it case where they been, moved the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies? Or was this the case of a horrific even, murder? <laughs> they never put headstones. It was like a pauper's grave. That they're, they're like, oh, where are we going to build the houses for the poor people? I got an idea. And wow. so they built the houses God. right over where the pauper grave had been with no headstones. And then erosion and whatnot. And this poor woman's like, hey, uh, dead's coming out of the ground. Can somebody come look at this? Yeah, yeah, whatever, lady. Click. Come on, click, click, click. Finally, Jack's like, you know, you got to look at these things sometimes because sometimes there might be something to it. So. <laughs> that's insane. That's, that's, yeah. uh, geez. Man, well, I'll tell you. Florida. What, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it <laughs> happens everywhere, right? Right? Florida yeah. asked lonely. One of your picks? Sure. Yeah, I'm suddenly uh, realizing how little content I've consumed. I may need a minute on this. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I don't know if I really have much more than uh, we, we've. Uh, uh, of course, we watched the the Mandalorian, um, and then uh, we've continued to watch the Crown. I, I I'll just make it the Crown. I, I, I'll I'll say this. Uh, I don't know if the show likes or hates the people that they're making a show about, but. Uh, uh, there's, there, there's enough there that I, I like it. it every once in a while. It pushes beyond my threshold for how much, uh, uh, I can deal with British procedural drama. Uh, and I mean that in the literal, like they wonder about the procedure for everything, but then there was an episode we watched last night that was basically just about how much of an irredeemable sissy Prince Charles was like from birth. And it was like, borderline on like really mean about like no this child sucks even like compared to other children this guy sucks and i'm like okay well i kind of like that so there we go the crowd that's awesome yeah uh I've, i'm sure we've talked about it previously but uh if you haven't heard we're uh, as a family finally really getting into community man once i heard that it gets good in season two um season one suddenly seems to take way too long for my tastes i mean don't get me wrong i'm halfway through it right now but then i looked 25 episodes in a single season what the what the hot hell is this bygone era bygone era <laughs> what the hot hell is 25 episodes in a single season 
Uh, yeah, so we're making it through that first season so that we can get to the fabled second season and beyond. That's a show that, you know, it's set, it starts off with its sort of template of these are our characters, this is who it's going to be about. But once you realize that Jeff and Britta, although great actors, are the least interesting characters on the show, it becomes a better show. You yeah. know, yeah. You know, the yeah. less it's and, about, and, you know, Jeff, super cool guy, Fonzie in community college and more about the misfits. Yeah, it it uh, uh, it it certainly abandons. And I think Dan Herman's even talked about the fact that like their best laid plans of like, OK, well, this is a show about this, like, will they won't they moonlighting thing between Jeff and Britta and also like our great comic relief of the Beavis and Butthead Chevy Chase and Donald Glover that'll keep going back and forth. And then it's like they realize that the acting talent and the the natural direction of the story wanted different things. And to their credit, they 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 took the the show where it kind of more most naturally wanted to be, which uh, is yeah. is good. Yeah, uh, I got a pick. Uh, uh, I also have not been watching much new stuff over the past week, but the thing I did watch after. Uh, much haranguing from some of my friends is uh, maybe the worst titled show of 2020, uh, but it's very interesting and certainly not for everybody. It's called How To with John Wilson on HBO. Uh, this is I I have a I'm going to have a very difficult time explaining this show, so bear bear with me. Okay, it's not a prank show, right? It's not Borat. It's not the Ali G show. It's also not Nathan for you, which is like produced and and really like set up you know you're going they you know a lot of the people know that they're being filmed for something or there's a big project um this is a i guess you would call it a docu comedy where john so john wilson is a documenter and he is doing these each episode is like a video essay you just think of it as like a video essay um but giving himself the freedom to chase random things right so the first episode is like how to make small talk and he's in new york and he's you know it's it's kind of a cutesy like you know sometimes people just need to talk about nothing so that they don't you know talk about real things and then that's then then that makes it makes everyone feel bad or whatever um but uh but there's one person that he talks to just to kind of exemplify how off the beaten path the show is who uh uh, I guess they're doing an interview at a, at a wrestling show outside of a wrestling re- wrestling show. And uh, uh, what's the question? Do you think mankind will, will turn it around or something like that? And it was at front of, in front of a big WWE show. So he thought he was talking about the wrestler mankind. Um, and so uh, 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 the guy says, Oh, you mean like people? Oh, uh, uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I, I, what does he say? He says, oh, check me out on Facebook. I catch child predators. And so the documentary goes and follows him for a couple of minutes. It goes to his home where he's like trying to set up a child predator sting. And this is just some guy. Uh, so, so that's kind of what this show is. It's, it's, it's quote unquote how to's it's quote unquote video essays. Um, but also just really strange. There's a lot of footage of like, uh, like a lot of really close up footage of like accidents and crime scenes in the middle of it. Um, 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know how to, a good way to describe it. This is not going to be for everybody, but it's, it leans into some of the stuff you would see in a Borat or a Nathan Fielder. In fact, Nathan Fielder is an executive producer on the show, so you see a lot of that there. Uh, but trying to catch strange and awkward moments and sound bites out of people um, uh, while also trying to make a point, right? The second episode is about scaffolding. It's all about scaffolding. And uh, uh, and so, you know, he's talking to people and he's seeing, you know, oh, people in New York who have, like their views are now obstructed by scaffolding, this thing that's supposed to be temporary. And, you know, he, he talks to those people. He goes to a scaffolding convention in New Orleans. And spoiler alert for the second episode, he goes and he looks and, you know, he's at New Orleans and he's like, oh, wow, there's not scaffolding everywhere here. And he's even looking at this construction site of the Hard Rock Hotel in New Orleans. And he flies back home and he says, oh, cool. Like two days ago, two, like two days after I was just standing right there at the construction spot, that's where the Hard Rock Hotel collapsed on the street. Oh. <laughs> and it's 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 bizarre. I, I can't uh, say... So, I'm having trouble explaining it because I don't know what this show is, but it's really interesting. And it made me laugh out loud. The two episodes I watched, it made me laugh out loud, just bust out laughing because of either the way it's set up, it's written, it's presented, it's edited. Uh, and it's it's very weird. It's just very weird. Uh, How to with John Wilson on HBO. So I have a pick, which is a YouTube channel, and I had not come across... Um, her before. Uh, she's a physicist. Her name is Sabine Hossenfelder, and she does some pretty interesting videos explaining physics and different topics like that. And does a really good job of it. I'm like one of my favorite explainers in general for like space stuff is Scott Manley and then Sabine Hoffenstetter when it comes to explaining general physics concepts. I just, I love it when I could just sit there and feel like, okay, I think I understand this now. Um, she just had a video come up like a week or so ago, which was really cool because there's a paper out on warp drive um, called Introducing Physical Warp Drives, or which hasn't been formally released yet for peer review, but she covers it. And she's not, she's very smart, as far as I can tell. I mean, it's all above my head, but you know, she does a really yeah. good job of explaining the problem with like the Alkyberry Drive paper and the issues with that and what it didn't settle. And she gets into why this this paper makes sense and explains how you could have warp drive without having paradoxes and whatnot. Her German pronunciations are delightful, by the way. You know, so to, to hear Einstein said in German sounds very different than the way I say it. But anyhow, I really I've watched a few of her videos. I think she's a wonderful explainer. And just you know, one of the things that makes YouTube great is a great resource for learning things. And also, hey, maybe warp drive could be a thing after all. So that's pretty rad. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Um, I'll do a little another little pick, by the way, too, because um, you guys sort of skipped on that. Um <laughs> The the uh, <laughs> for shame, gentlemen. Hey, we uh, have a by, contract. By the way, in, in in our defense, uh, I actually paused for a second. And I thought, yeah, man, how weird that all of us haven't been consuming a lot of media. Is there anything strange about the last week that maybe is a bit out of a? Oh, that's right. It was freaking Thanksgiving. Maybe maybe we all weren't watching something. Maybe some of us were because we had no place to go. <laughs> so. Uh, I've been watching and I haven't I've been watching little increments each night and this is a movie that the cast was too young I would love to have seen this movie made if the stars if they were brought in if they made it 10 years later with the cast when they were 10 years older than the parts they're playing because they look like children nothing against their acting capability whatever but playing characters just felt to me like should be older Valerian and the city of a thousand planets 
Oh, man. Did you ever see that? The Luc Besson film? I think I remember the title of it. That's about it. No, that this was, was, yeah, this was like uh, uh, independently financed, right? Like this was going to be a big like European centric sci-fi a thing that was like uh, uh, very much shot on green screen, but uh, uh, then had a troubled production, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's a huge production. You've got Rihanna yeah. in it. You've got a big cast. It was a big, it was a big, big, you know, pretty big movie. And I mean, it's a VFX heavy. So yeah, there's going to be green screens, but it's not a cheap movie by any sense. No, 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 I, no. I didn't, I yeah. didn't, I didn't mean to, uh, to, to insinuate that more that, yeah, that it was like, they were taking advantage of a lot of new technology, but there was a ton of money put into it. Yeah. So, you know, Luke Besson, who did the fifth element, who I think is a wonderful, just a, I love Fifth Element, right? I think with Fifth Element's just such a delightful movie all the way around. So for him to do another big science fiction film, people were excited about it and it came out and it kind of like kind of had a hit with a bit of a thud, at least in the United States. And and I think, like I said, I think the cast, uh, the main characters, I think if they'd been a little older, I think it'd be kind of better. I think they're all great actors. But anyhow, the effects, the visuals in the world building, go back and watch it just for that. Go back and watch it for Luc Besson is throwing everything at you. You know, the, the original comic was Valerian and Laureline. I don't know why they changed it for because it's very much about the two of them and to make it Valerian, the city of a thousand planets. I don't understand that title change to take the girl's name out of the title. But anyhow, uh, it is an amazingly visual film. And it moves, moves, moves. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it's a movie. I don't remember. I thought I'd seen it, but I'm watching like, I don't remember any of this. But it's still, I like Luke Passan. And it's sort of like the Wachowski sisters. It's like, even when they have a misfire, if they throw everything at it, you're still going to go like, well, still something kind of fun here in some way. So... Uh, that's great. Yeah. And, and I, I totally agree with you with the, uh, uh, Dean DeHaan and, and Chloe Devaney, uh, like they are too, like, I, I, I still kind of feel like the, uh, or sorry, Dane DeHaan, uh, he, yeah. he got a couple shots in like bigger budget things that just kind of misfired, but he was so good in that. Um, uh, what was the Michael B. Jordan uh, uh, all the kids get superpowers. Chronicle. Chronicle. Yeah, he was great in Chronicle. Um, but yeah, it was like like uh, Amazing Spider Man. He he was, uh, you know, he he got a shot there and didn't re- wasn't really able to kind of uh, uh sing. But I, I would I would love to see him and other stuff. And Chloe Devaney, I think, is just like a star. She just needs a kind of a, a a vehicle, a different vehicle to sort of push her over the top. Yeah, I was just when I, I wasn't I, like I'm watching. I'm going like, man, like I feel like because they're so youthful and young looking, and you feel like you're supposed to be watching this sort of kind of Daniel Craig esque, you know, at his point in life kind of character. So uh, I'd like to see, you know, maybe someday. But anyhow, um, just from the visuals alone, I'm not telling you like, oh, it's, it's movies. The story is super great, it, but it is. It Luke Besson. He wants to entertain you, and he wants to keep things moving, which I really enjoyed. It, so uh, for, for- it was sort of like. From what you're saying, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like, uh, uh, I've, I've often pointed out that, uh, to my eyes, Tron is one of the best movies to have on with no audio in the background. And it sounds like this is uh, kind of a similar thing where it's like, like, there are visuals and pictures that belong in your brain, and this is the way to get I, in there. I would, 
No, I think that you listen to it because Tron is slow. Tron is really slow. If you go back and you look at the pacing of Tron, and it is, I can fall asleep watching Tron. Yeah. And I love Tron, but I, I it's just... It's, it's it's a few yeah a few visuals that that are powerful enough that that they you know forty years later are still blasted into my brain mm-hmm. but that's about it. So yeah, it, I think this it, one Andrew, give us the sound on, but in in my mind, this movie was kind of tied to Jupiter Ascending as like another big movie that wasn't quite what it should be it, it borderlining on like Jupiter Ascending. I think has kind of slotted itself in as like. Uh, a kind of an, an, an enjoyable, uh, uh, you know, trash sort of sci-fi film. So, w- w- where would you put Ju- or a, a, a Valerian next to Jupiter Ascending? Oh, I, this is way better, way better. Okay. But again, that's not saying much because Jupiter Ascending. The problem there was like you have good actors in really poorly written parts, being super melodramatic, and you just can't take anybody seriously. Here, like, there's great action sequences. There's some really good action sequences and stuff, and you have things they want to show, like, uh, you know, how do you do, you know, uh, an interdimensional marketplace where people put on, like, special VR goggles and stuff to walk through a desert and go buy things in this sort of virtual world that's somewhere else. Like, there's so many cool, crazy kind of ideas here, and everybody is, all the characters are pretty serious and earnest and whatnot. You get the 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 way that the Valerian character sort of described is this, it's way overkilled. I think I'm like, Oh, he's this, you know, he just loves all these, this super lover of women and whatnot. And he's met the right girl. And you're just sort of like, I just, just get to the story. But when it gets into the story and stuff, it's fun and visual and stuff where I think that Jupiter ascending is just like, it's just a silly, it's every, it's like you can't watch a single scene of that and not go, oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, know? yeah, at, 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 at the moment where there's like a pitched battle and Channing Tatum comes rollerblading in as a dog, you're like, <laughs> okay, well, I guess we're watching this movie. Yeah. So, but it does have neat visuals. And it is Wachowski is doing kind of yeah. visual stuff. But I would say that, like, like if you like Fifth Element, I'm like go check out Valerian. If Fifth Element's not gotcha. your jam, then you're not going to find anything useful in Valerian. Gentlemen, it's been weird. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.